0: As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's Holy and Inspired Word back to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We are moving into chapter 7. How exciting is that? I mean, just just over a year, and we're already in chapter 7, all the way from chapter 5. It's so exciting. So exciting. This morning we're going to, to be focusing in on the first six verses of chapter 7. Believe it or not, we're not going to cover all of it. Um, we're going to read all of it, but I also I want to be, begin reading a little uh, from a couple places in Matthew 6 so that we can once again see the context and how things are flowing um, as as Jesus is moving from one point to the next, but I'm going to re- I'm going to start reading with Proverbs 27:17. So just listen, Proverbs 27:17, and then I'll begin reading from Matthew chapter six. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is this log in your own. You hypocrite. First, take out the log of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take out the speck of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before uh, before pigs. Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are by nature in the fall, way too confident in our abilities to know things to assess them and to take actions that are not ours to take. And so Lord help us. Help us to give pause and to open our our hearts to your word this morning. That you would address within us something that is always necessary to be addressed and that we would truly, Lord, learn to trust you more and more rather than ourselves. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As we continue to look at how to live the good life as Jesus is reforming and reshaping um, our moral imaginations for how to live a flourishing Christian life within this world. We, we come to a, a, an extremely important passage of scripture that is very uh, familiar, but is not really well known. It is one of the the verses within the, the Sermon on the Mount that you can hear in a moment's notice, dropped very quickly. And not even just within the church, but within society at large. Judge not. Don't judge. Judge not. Judge not lest you be judged. Love to throw that out. Well, in times past, the last several years, we're, we're not hearing that as much because within the, the broader culture, there is, has been a turn and there's a, a, a quickness and there is a surety to render judgment. But I'm not here to talk about what the world does. Jesus is here to talk about what the church does. And see, the reality is we don't have to look outside these walls to see an overconfidence, a readiness, a willingness, even an eagerness to assess, to pass judgment. It is something, if we're honest, it's something that is running through every one of our own hearts. Jesus has just taken some time to address this overconfidence we have in our own assessments and judgments. You see, the reason that we get anxious is because we do not rightly assess ourselves and our circumstances in light of who God is and what God has promised. That's what he has just told us. We we forget about who God is, and instead we look more at the circumstances that we are experiencing within the moment. And, And what we tend to do is we will render a wrong assessment. I think I need something that I don't have. Well, God either isn't aware, or He doesn't care. See, that's an assessment. That's that's rendering a judgment. Obviously, if God was aware, or, or if God cared, cared, I would have what I think I need. And I wouldn't be experiencing this lack. I wouldn't be experiencing this fear. Beloved, one of the things that you and I desire at the core of our hearts is to live a faithless faith. We we want to 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 walk by sight. We understand that as Christians we in our worldview we we hold to a faith. We have a faith that has substance and has a sub has subject matter where there is truth that is to be received and is to be trusted and is to be enacted in our lives and is to be extended to those around us. But so often we don't We like to think of the faith. We don't always want to have to walk by faith. God doesn't promise us that. In fact, he promises the other. He's training us to grow in our trust. And there's only one way for you to grow in trust and that is through difficulty. We, so often and so frequently, even with good intentions within our hearts, we wrongly assess this life. We wrongly assess God. And so what happens is we put our trust in ourselves. More than we trust him. We are too zealous to be confident in ourselves rather than confident in him. We are too slow to reconsider ourselves in order to consider him. We are too slow to mistrust ourselves when, beloved, we have every reason not to trust ourselves. This doesn't just happen in our relationship with God. It happens with our relationship with one another. And so Jesus goes from addressing this, this problem of an overconfidence and, and, and an overtrust in ourselves to rightly assess the world, to rightly assess our circumstances, to rightly assess Him and to rightly assess our own hearts to now pointing out how easy and how often we engage in wrongly assessing one another. Jesus does here begin with judge not and it is a command it is in the imperative and and but what's fascinating is is he says judge not that you not be judged. Now, here's what's interesting. In the Greek, the second judge, it's both, it's the same word, don't judge, so that you're not judged, right? It's the same word. The first use of the word is a command. It's in the imperative mood, right? Don't do this. However, the second, the second use is, is not in what we would call the indicative mood. All right, we're going to do a little, a little English grammar here, all right? The language nerds, you'll love this. In the in English language, if we talk about a, the declarative mood or the indicative mood, it is a way of expressing reality, right? I am not skinny. All right, that I just totally assessed reality, and I did so very accurately, right? That's the declarative, right? I am not skinny. Alabama football is awesome, right? I I could go on. (laughs) I got a thumbs down. That's the declarative mood. That's the indicative mood. The second verb here, so that you are not judged in the Greek, is is what we call the subjunctive mood. And it's one of those, we have it in English, but we're usually not typically aware of it other than context. In, in the Greek language, uh, in, the, in Koine Greek, it actually it changes the way the word is spelled so that you know, oh, this is in the subjunctive mood. And now the subjunctive mood is the mood of potential. The subjunctive mood is, is the mood um, of, it expresses contingency. It expresses possibility. Now, what does that mean? All right. If this was in the indicative mood, then what Jesus is saying would be, Don't judge, because if you judge, you will be judged. What he says is, don't judge, because that will potentially lead to you being judged. Are you seeing the difference here? The the command of not to judge is not a command to never judge. It's not a command that to judge is wrong. It's not a command that says, if you judge, you're sinning. If you judge, you're breaking Jesus's command. That is not what is being said here. What is being said here is be careful when you judge. Because the way that you go about it will more than likely come back upon yourself. We are called as God's people to make assessments. There is only one way that iron can sharpen iron. And that is when people who are are seeing or experiencing the same thing have different thoughts and different ideas about it. And what happens is they're rubbing on each other. If you think Jesus is saying here, do not judge... Then what happens is when you start to rub and and experience friction with another brother or sister in Jesus Christ, you might start to think, well, uh, this experience is wrong. I shouldn't experience this in the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, I should only experience us getting along and, and us, you know, holding hands and singing kumbaya. And friction can scare us. Friction can make us ill at ease. Friction can, can make us withhold. It can make us pull away. And how many times have you heard that with, within a, a local church context when there are times of friction that there are, there are people that just decide, you know what, it's time for me to move on to a new church. I am not saying there aren't times to do that. But there are some people that because of the experience of friction, it freaks them out, and they they go. Others, might I say, enjoy friction a little too much. Friction makes them feel alive. Friction gets them amped and excited and where maybe they have been sitting on the sideline for a while. As soon as there is controversy, all of a sudden they're right up front. Let's deal with this. Now, these are two extremes, right? There are two extremes that that tend to to manifest themselves in the church. One is an extreme of, well, I'm not supposed to make any judgments one bit whatsoever, um, and so therefore I am supposed to just be uh, indulgent and tolerant. Or I just need to find the church where we're all in such agreement that there's never friction to to begin with. Now, here's a problem with that. Jesus has just told us that one of the reasons we don't want to have confidence in our assessments of things, especially trying to assess the future, is he he has said the day is evil in and of itself. The world in which we live, as, as it is under the curse of God, lives in the midst of curse it is evil there is evil within a fallen world and and, and so because of that Jesus says we've got to be we've got to be slow with trying to think that we can somehow figure out the present let alone figuring out the future All Right, the day is evil in and of itself well what that does Within the church and within the relationships of the church is that evil manifests itself a lot now one of the most obvious things I'm going to say today is this: that means you will not find a perfect church here within this world. I hope that I hope I didn't blow you away. every church is going to experience Clashes. The New Testament has one letter after another where, where a, a, a New Testament author is writing to a church that is in the midst of experiencing tension and conflict. And in it, Paul, for example, in the, the book of Galatians, The letter to the Galatians, the letter to the Romans. Both situations, the churches are experiencing internal conflict. And the internal conflict is over how to read, interpret, and apply the Old Testament as New Testament believers. This is not that there are people that are just giving in to rampant worldliness and, and bringing that worldliness into the church and it's creating conflict. No, what, the, what, what is at the heart is, like in the book of Galatians, is what role does circumcision play in the life of a Gentile believer? What role do the, the badges of the, of the law play? and the sacrificial system, and the food laws, and and the ceremonial laws, all that stuff from the Old Testament, what role does that play in the life of an everyday believer? What role does that play in the outworking of being a new covenant church? In the book of Romans, Paul says, there are some of you who want to live according to the food laws of, of the old covenant, there are others who do not. now, here's what you don't do. You don't welcome people into your fellowship in order for you to argue over those things. You don't welcome someone in so that you can give them some kind of litmus test. Well, well, well where are you on this issue? What what do you think about vegetarianism? Well, Paul says, it's the weak brother. (laughs) Just missing. I mean, he does say that. That's not not what he means, though. He means they're physically weak. No. It's so easy to to get caught. I'm not talking about sin. It's so easy to get caught up in what does the Bible teach? And therefore, I'm going to assess everyone on the basis of what I think it teaches, what I think it means, and what I think it should look like. And Paul says, no. Now, he says, you, in Galatians, you've been called to freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But he says what? Don't use that freedom as an opportunity of the flesh. But if someone is caught up in the flesh, are you supposed to just indulge that? Is the church supposed to just be tolerant and be like, oh, well, you know, for some reason, he just keeps beating his wife, but he's free in Christ. Is that what we're supposed to do, just throw our hands up and indulge the sin? Are we supposed to just throw our hands up and and tolerate stuff? Once again, I'm not talking about sinners out in the world. I'm talking about us in the church. Now, obviously, there is a role for accountability within the church. There is a role of discipline within the church where sin is to be confronted. But Paul tells us very clearly that it is to be done by those who are not participating in that sin and it is to be done with gentleness. So you see the two extremes we have going on here? Those who are who are self-confident, in their understanding, and ready to impose it on everyone around them by being confrontational and argumentative. And you have those who, who, because of their freedom in Christ, are just living in sin. And who think that they should just be indulged in their sin and that no one should get in their business. All right, do you see these two extremes? What Jesus is doing is saying we have to watch out for both of those extremes. We do not want to be eager and overconfident in our assessment of others. But we are to live with a humble accountability within the church. Judge not so that you're not judged in the way that you are judging. Now, who is his immediate audience here? Is it not the Pharisees who... Are pretty self-confident in their ability to read, and interpret, and apply the Old Testament for others, and <laughs> that what we've been talking about this whole time—minimizing the parts of the law that they don't like, but then overemphasizing other parts of the law for others but not themselves—Jesus refers to them as as hypocrites self-righteous, whitewashed tombs. Now here's the deal. If we're going to avoid these two extremes, it's not going to be by not judging at all. It is going to be through rendering judgment humbly and carefully where we have first started with ourselves Psalm 139 unfolds this this beautiful and yet fearful picture of who God is and just how 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 present He is, and how knowledgeable He is. We cannot get away from Him. He has made us. And it doesn't matter if we're in a dark room where there's no light and we can't see anything. Guess what? Nothing's hidden from Him. What was the deepest, darkest, most hidden space to the ancient Near East? What was going on in the womb? They didn't know what was happening then there. They didn't have 3D ultrasounds. That was a mystery to them. Man, that's just, something's going on in there. Even in there, you cannot escape God's presence and his knowledge and his care. You see, his presence... And his knowledge are tied to his care for his people. And what the psalmist says is, because there is nowhere I can get away from you, because there's nowhere I can hide from you, because I'm always completely open and on display before you, he says, Lord, look into my heart and tell me what i need to know about what is aligned against you you see the psalmist even though he he asserts that he is on god's side right I don't participate with those, those people who hate you. I don't, I don't participate in the worldliness of those who are contradicting the covenant. I'm not participating in the idolatry. But what he does recognize is even though he's not participating with the worst of the idolatrous rebels, he acknowledges that he's still not right in and of himself. And so he says, yes, I can see their evil, and I am, I'm, I'm not participating in, in that, but I am participating in my own evil. I am participating in my own ways that I rebel against you. And he says, I am not competent within myself to even know all of that. How often, beloved, is our own sin hidden from ourselves? And and when someone comes and points it out, you're like, what? What do you mean I'm not skinny? Of course I am. How often is our own sin, are we blind to it? And we need the Lord to point it out. What the psalmist reminds us is what it means to be a follower of God is to desire for God to point it out. But not so we can beat ourselves up, but so that we can learn to respond to it in light of who God is and what he has done about the sin that he is pointing out. And more often than not, the chief means that God uses to show us this is he shows us through people. Sometimes it's people who love us enough To not avoid the friction, but instead to embrace the friction in in order to lovingly point something out. A lot of times, though, it's because someone is just ready and, and eager for the opportunity. We are called to be accountable to God, and we are called to be accountable to one another. The question is... What's that going to look like within Grace Covenant Church? What is it going to feel like within Grace Covenant Church? How is it to be approached and carried out within Grace Covenant Church? Not what the world does, not what they get wrong, not with their bad techniques and all the stuff that would be so fun to, yes, let's point fingers at them and talk about how obviously awful they are. Let's first deal with the lumber in our own eye. Judge not so that you are not judged. This is not saying don't ever judge. What Jesus is doing is he's setting us up to know what is a godly way to go about a thing and and, and, and living within accountability so that it is wise and it leads to a group becoming better rather than leading to the type of conflict That results in being attacked, eating, biting, and devouring one another from within. Let us not be eager to render assessment. And let us not be eager to play a role that is not ours to play, which is judge. But indeed, let us be eager to ask the judge of the universe to reveal to us what we need to know about ourselves as we strive to, to walk in the freedom with which we have been freed in Christ, not falling off into the extreme of licentiousness and not falling off to the other extreme of legalism, but living within the heart of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with a love that is beyond grasp and understanding. And so teach us, Lord, to to cultivate your love rather than to nurture our own overconfidence. Help us to make such a big deal of who you are and what you have done and who you have made us to be in Christ, Lord, that that we would not have time and interest or, or, or emotional investment into picking each other apart. But instead, Lord, being open to your means of grace, That being made new in Christ day by day, we would walk more and more as those who have received every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. As those who are no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, living under the dominion of sin and death, but who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Bless us, Lord, as we humble ourselves in order to live within the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And teach us, Lord, how to nurture a culture here at Grace Covenant Church where the subject matter of our faith isn't just words on a page or or lines that we can recite, but forms and shapes the very air that we breathe. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.